I felt like I should give him a fist bump for Go Blue or something when I walked by. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here today. Good to have the opportunity to bring God's Word. Judd did not tell you that uh, you might want to ask him or Tyson or Sarah what the temperature of Lake Michigan was this past Friday, because they all plunged in up north, and it was quite cold. Judd, we all kind of chuckled, because Judd had on a wetsuit, and his kids did not, so we're not sure who is the bravest in that whole venture. It was just the three of us, Jenny, Jesse, and I, for Thanksgiving. Uh, Judd's family was up north. Our other two kids and their family stayed home down in Nashville, and so it was just the three of us, but I'm pretty sure my wife fixed just as much food for the three of us as if everybody had been there, so we've been enjoying all the goodies. I heard on the radio that the average weight gain over Thanksgiving is two pounds, and the average weight gain between Thanksgiving and New Year's is between six and eight pounds. That just seems impossible to me, but uh, maybe. I mean, some people are gaining 20 and others are gaining five, but... Pray with me, please. Thank you, Lord, for the church. Uh, We love your church. It's always good, Lord God, to gather in the name of our Savior, Jesus. It's always good to be with brothers and sisters, people with who are like-minded and like-hearted. We have been changed by your grace, transformed by your mercy and your love and forever grateful for your patience and your faithfulness. And so today as we open your word and think about the things of God, we would pray that the Spirit would be our teacher and we put ourselves under his instruction. We love you, Lord, because you first loved us. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Sociologists have referred to the time in which we are currently living in America as, quote, the tumultuous 20s. And I think it's a very, a very appropriate um, depiction of the days in which we're living. Over the past three years, we've experienced social unrest, demonstrations, riots, mass shootings, a global pandemic, school lockdowns, people working from home, businesses being shuttered, the storming of the Capitol, concerns about climate change, inflation, immigration, gender issues, Supreme Court decisions, the war in Ukraine, and now the war in Israel and Palestine. Lots of tumult. And ideologically, we are a nation probably more politically and culturally divided today than perhaps at any time in our country's history since the Civil War. So the turbulent 20s just seems to fit. Um, I've described it for myself as societal vertigo. Sometimes I have episodes of vertigo where I'll sit up out of bed and just kind of get myself stable before I stand up. Otherwise, I may sort of tip one side or the other. That's kind of the way it seems like we feel today in, um, in our country. Our heads are spinning. We're a little bit dizzy, and we're unsure of which way is up. So in light of all that, what does all that mean for the Christian? I think that's perhaps the most fundamental question for God's people in every generation, no matter when they're living. 
The late Francis Schaeffer asked that question of his reading audience back in the mid-70s. When I was in college, he was writing to the society at that time, which was in the throes of a lot of moral and, and cultural confusion. And he asked the question with the title of his book, How Should We Then Live? He was calling on Christians to think carefully and biblically about what it means to be the redeemed people of God while walking every day in a world filled with darkness, societal chaos, and moral confusion. The question is the same for us today. How then should we, the people of God, live? There's a phrase found in the Bible that every time I've spotted it, it's intrigued me and caught my attention. It's used to describe two men in particular that has always kind of made me stop and pause. And I think it's significant in answering the question, how should we as the people of God be living today? It was first stated of the man Enoch in the book of Genesis. This is what we're told about this man. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years, had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, in the genealogical record, that's all we've got. That's all we're given. You'll probably have more words spoken at your funeral one day than we are given for Enoch. But you've got to admit that what we're given is pretty intriguing. Enoch was the seventh generation from Adam. He was the father of Methuselah, his firstborn son, who, by the way, lived longer than anyone in recorded history. Enoch and his wife went on to have more kids. And then something rather mystical happened. It says that, quote, he was not, for God took him. He was not. In other words, he had breakfast in the morning, And then a bit later in the day, his family couldn't find him. He was nowhere to be found. I mean, that's classic podcast material, really. And then the writer of Genesis tells us, very matter-of-factly, what had happened. God took him. And what he's telling us is that Enoch didn't die a physical death like every human being who had lived before him but that God had providentially decided to transport him off the face of the earth and into the presence of God without there being a funeral in his honor. God took him, end of story. But I would suggest to you, if that's what Enoch is to be especially known for, I think we've missed the big idea. There's a very poignant pencil pencil sketch of this man that we are given not once but twice Just four words that it seems to me the writer wanted to highlight in large font. You see, as mystifying as it is that Enoch was not and that God took him, the hallmark characteristic of this man's time on earth is in the phrase, Enoch walked with God. The second person is fairly familiar even to those who aren't students of the Bible due to his shipbuilding skills. And that would be Noah. As a timeline reference, Noah was Enoch's great-grandson. Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah. 
When we think about Noah, obviously, we, refer, we, we immediately reference the daunting assignment that God had given to him to build a veritable floating zoo. God was going to send a flood of cataclysmic proportions to wipe out all living creatures and basically start all over. And he gave to Noah the assignment to build an ocean-going vessel for the purpose of a post-diluvian repopulating of the earth. That's what Noah's famous for. That's what all the Bible stories that kids will be taught is all about. But here's the way Noah gets introduced to us. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. The exact same phrase used to describe his great-grandfather. And so when we think about Noah and focus most of our thoughts on the ark, I wonder if we aren't making the exact same mistake as we do with Enoch. Granted, Noah's accomplishments are something to marvel at, to be sure. I mean, it would be a huge challenge for me to build a canoe. I have trouble building paper airplanes. Just ask my grandkids. Let alone building a three-story ship the length of one and a half football fields and then fill it with the St. Louis Zoo. But here's what I want to know. What was it in Noah's life as a man that sustained him from one day to the next? Where did he find the physical, emotional, mental stamina to keep going with a project that scholars estimate apparently took several decades to complete. And then Peter tells us in the New Testament that Noah was a herald of righteousness. In other words, while he was shipbuilding, he was also preaching to a people who would not repent, warning them about the judgment of God that was to come. And so they were mocking him, they were scoffing, they were ridiculing him. And so the question I have is, where did he get the courage and maybe even the joy to keep at this assignment that God had given to him. I think it's found in the very same phrase used to describe his great-grandfather. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. doesn't mean he's sinless. Just compared to the rest of his generation, he, was, he stood out from the crowd for his walk and the last phrase, Noah walked with God. So two men who are described as having walked with God. What does it mean to walk with God? And there are others, even though that phrase is not attached to their life stories. I mean, Abraham obviously walked with God when he walked to a new land. King David walked with God. All you have to do is read the Psalms and you realize that's a man who was walking with God. Daniel walked with God into the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked with God into the fiery furnace. Queen Esther walked with God to stand before the king on behalf of the Jews. And then you get to the New Testament, Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, they walked with God. We're told that very specifically. And then you have obscure people like Simeon and Anna who were in the temple when Joseph and Mary brought the baby Jesus in. Or what about Joseph and Mary themselves? They were walking with God as they raised the Son of God. Remarkable. 
Now, what about Jesus' disciples? Well, these were men who physically walked with the Son of God. For hundreds of miles, I mean, they walked with Jesus from village to village to village, through Galilee and Judea, Cana, Capernaum, Bethany, Bethsaida. They walked with Jesus along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, through grain fields, over the hillsides and mountains of Palestine. They walked with the Son of God through the streets of Jerusalem. But it's not the distance that they walked that I think about as much as the amount of time that they spent walking with Jesus. I, I'm a, I like to crunch numbers in order to give myself a perspective on, on things in the Bible. I do this fairly often. For example, I, I, I like to see the frequency of a word, like say the, the word believe in the four Gospels and how it gets used by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew uses the word believe eight times. Mark uses it 15 times. Luke uses it nine times. John uses it 84 times. Well, that tells you something about what John's purpose was. Well, so I do that in this case here. I think about these guys walking with Jesus for three years And so let's say, give or take 16 waking hours a day, living, eating, walking, talking with Jesus, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year for three years, no vacations. It comes out to over 17,000 hours that they spent walking with the Lord. They were watching him. They were observing. They were taking mental notes. They were asking him questions. They were listening to his answers. They were hanging on his every word as he taught them and exhorted them and encouraged them and loved them. They were marveling at his wisdom. They were grateful for his incredible patience. They were stunned by his miracles. They were amazed by his commitment to just keep on going to Jerusalem. These guys walked with Jesus for three years. Now, you and I can't, cannot physically walk with our Lord, and yet we are called to walk with God. We are called to walk in the ways of God. I mean, it's a perfect metaphor for living each day, hour by hour, moment by moment, with an acute awareness that God is with you. He's with you as you walk. And then for that awareness of God's presence with you to impact all the sectors of your life. When you go to work, when you go to school, when you're at home raising kids, when you're doing the mundane. For the awareness of God's presence with you to permeate your life. It's like the smell of your Thanksgiving feast filling the rooms of your house. Walking with God brings the aroma of God into every closet and room of your life. You see, God has always called his people to walk with him. All you have to do is read the Old Testament. I would encourage you to do that. Just just do a study of of the people of Israel walking with God. And when when they did and when they didn't, a lot of times they didn't walk with God. They walked away from God. They walked in the ways of the nations. <clears throat> but they were exhorted. Deuteronomy 5, you shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you. 
Deuteronomy 8, so you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways. Psalm 81, oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my way. That's God imploring the people of Israel, why will you not walk with me? Micah 6, verse 8, he has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? In the New Testament, you find the exact same exhortations. Romans 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime. Ephesians 4, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Ephesians 5, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. 2 John 1 verse 4 is a verse that I pray for my family, my kids and my grandkids pretty much every day. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. Walking in the truth. If you're walking in the truth, you're walking with God. And so to answer the question from a few minutes ago, how should we then live in the midst of all that is swirling around us, what I find the Scriptures to be saying is God speaking to His people, I just want you to walk with me. Every day, in all your comings and goings, in, in all your activities and endeavors, when you go to work, when you're doing the laundry, when you're shuttling your kids to soccer practice, on your best days and on your hardest days, in your joys and in your sorrows, in the midst of the world that much of the time seems very upside down, I am imploring you as my people, walk with me. <clears throat> Last Sunday when Mary and Kelly and Sarah all shared... They're from, from different life situations and scenarios, their thoughts on Thanksgiving. As I listened to them, I was thinking, they're actually just talking about what walking with God looks like in their lives. Whether it's in the everyday or in the sorrows and griefs, whatever it is. I was listening to three women, three sisters, sharing what it meant, what it means to them to walk with God. Now, what I want to do for the rest of the time is, is just give you a few observations that I've made about walking with God, primarily from what we find in the Scriptures, but also from my own experience. <clears throat> I have been a stumbling, fumbling walker for over half a century. I was 18 years old when, by God's grace, I heard and believed the gospel for the very first time. And now I'm 71, and I'm still learning how to walk with God. I'm still learning what it looks like for me in my life because it'll look a little bit differently for you. It'll actually look differently for each one of us. There, I'm going I'm to give you some kind of some core elements of walking with God, but how those get worked out, I'm just going to allow you to flesh that out for yourselves in terms of what it might look like for you if you and I and all of us together in the, in the tumultuous 20s were to be more intentional, more purposeful in walking with God. <clears throat> I'm going to keep these relatively brief. First of all, walking with God makes you humble. 
Walking with God makes you humble. You're going you're to want to bring humility to the neighbor. I think that's where, I think that's where you begin. Um, it's where you start. Whenever you're with someone who's greater than you, greater in honor, greater in wisdom, greater in power, knowledge, skill, expertise, the only good and right posture to have is, is that of humility. James 4, verse 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so the opposite of humility is, is what? Pride, self-exaltation, taking the honor for yourself, making much of yourself rather than making much of God. That's been man's problem. That's been humanity's problem ever since the Garden of Eden when Satan said, you don't need to listen to God. You don't need to humble yourself. You don't need to obey God. Get out there and make a name for yourself. You'll be like God. That's been our problem ever since. When you walk with God, you want to make much of God. It's the only right thing to do. You want to get the focus off of yourself, and you want to get the focus on to God. Remember how John the Baptist saw himself in comparison to Jesus? Remember how he described himself? He said, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. And then he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. The prophet Jeremiah instructs us with these these words. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. Walking with God makes you humble. Walking with God also makes you grateful. Walking with God is going to make you grateful. Jesus' disciples Don't you think in their best moments they were grateful that he had called them to follow him? I mean, these these were just laborers. These were fishermen. These were average guys, and yet the Son of God comes and calls them to come follow me. Come walk with me. What about the Apostle Paul, who had been Saul, persecuting Christians, having them imprisoned and put to death, and the Lord meets him on the road to Damascus, completely changes the trajectory of his life. And I would ask you, hasn't God done the exact same thing with you? Didn't God change the trajectory of your life? We just celebrated Thanksgiving, a national holiday intended to give thanks to God. Seems to me like there's just a lot of sort of ethereal, weird being thankful out there that isn't directed to God. Thanksgiving is to direct thanks to God. And as believers, brothers and sisters, we have so, so much for which to give thanks. As you walk through the day, give him thanks. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for opening my eyes, for quickening my heart, for giving me new birth 
Thank you for the cross. Thank you for taking all of my sin, for removing my sins from me as far as the east is from the west. Thank you for adopting me into your family. Thank you for giving me the spirit by which I can call you my father. Thank you for this book. Thank you for the the people who wrote it. Thank you for the spirit that inspired it. Thank you for your church, that I'm not alone in this. I've got brothers and sisters. Thank you for my family. When I take Jesse to work in the morning and drop him off, I I cannot help but stop as he walks up the ramp and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. And then over all of it, Lord, thank you for loving me in a way that is totally beyond my ability to fully comprehend. How a holy, powerful, wonderful God would, would see me and, and shine his light upon this man in spite of who I am. Um, there's a passage in J.I. Packer's Knowing God. If you have not read Knowing God, it definitely needs to be on your list of have-to-read books. Um, let me just read this passage to you that is one of, one of my favorite passages in all of Christian literature. There is unspeakable comfort in knowing that God is constantly taking knowledge of me in love and watching over me for my good There is tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery now can disillusion him about me in the way that I am so often disillusioned about myself, and thus quench his determination to bless me. There is certainly great cause for humility in the thought that he sees all the twisted things about me that my fellow men do not see, and I am so glad. And that he sees more corruption in me than that which I see in myself, which in all conscience is enough. There is great incentive to worship and love God and the thought that for some unfathomable reason he wants me as his friend and desires to be my friend and he has given his son to die for me in order to realize this purpose. That's the God you walk with. That's the one you walk with. Walking with God makes you grateful. Walking with God makes you teachable. It makes you teachable. You want to come and walk with God every day and say, Lord, teach me. When you're walking with someone who knows more than you know about some topic, you just want to learn what they know. When we're up in Michigan, one of, one of my pretty much everyday activities is to be out in the yard. Um, we've got a big yard, front and back, lots of flowers, a few vegetables. I'm not very good at those some herbs. We have a nearby nursery. It's called Our Field of Dreams. 
And I go there a lot. It's, we're on a first-name basis. I'm there so often. And I walk through their greenhouses, and there are rows and rows and rows of shrubs and trees and flowers and plants. And sometimes I'll take my camera that where I've taken pictures from my garden and show them to Susie or, or her daughter, Brienne, and ask them questions. Uh, what do you think goes with these flowers, or how should I plant these? And I, and I pick their brain, and I ask them lots of questions because they know so much more than I do. Uh, they are trained horticulturists, and they spend time with me. They're more than willing just to spend time answering my questions. See, that's what you do when you walk with someone, when you spend time with someone who knows more than you know, especially someone who's willing to spend time with you. You want to be teachable because God knows so much more than you do about everything. Psalm 25, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Psalm 86, teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me your way, Lord. I don't want to know the ways of the world. I don't, want, I don't want to know the ways of the fool. I don't want to know the ways of the cynic or the skeptic. I want to know your ways. I love Jeremiah 6, 16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Ask for, the, ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest for your souls if you walk in the ancient paths. You know where the ancient paths are found? Right here. The Ancient of Days has revealed to us the ancient paths. I am always, always skeptical of the new. I am always skeptical of new ideas, new possibilities, new authors, new people giving their opinions. I'm always extremely cautious because it hasn't been tested and tried. The ancient, the ancient paths have been tested and tried. Ask for the ancient paths. I, as a 71-year-old man who's been trying to do this for 53 years, I would just say, friends, you've just got to be in the Bible. You've got to be in the Word of God. That's where you're going to walk with Him. That's where you're going to learn from Him. That's where He's going to teach you. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite dead guys, <clears throat> once said this, if you really believe that just to read a few verses and a short comment on them and to have a brief word of prayer is sufficient for your day, then I say that you do not know anything about the wiles of the devil. Because you see, the devil does not want you to walk with God. The devil wants you to walk any place else with anyone else. And when it comes to trying to make sense of the tumultuous 20s with all of the news that comes at you 24-7, can I just give you some invaluable advice from 20th century theologian Karl Barth? He said this, take your Bible and take your newspaper and read both, but interpret the newspaper through your Bible 
Saying, don't, he's saying, don't bury your head in the sand and pretend that, that everything's hunky-dory. And it's not. We live in a really upside-down world. Take both, but make sure you're interpreting your news source. And so today, I think Karl Barth would say, take your Bible, take your Fox News, CNN, NPR, Twitter, Instagram, read and listen to both. But whatever is over here, make sure you're interpreting it through this. Because this is the filter through which you understand reality. Be teachable. Walking with God makes you vulnerable. Exposed, defenseless. You're not going to like that. None of us do. We don't like to be naked. No facades, no pretense, no masks. When you walk with God, you've got to be willing to be stripped down. Because that's what the Lord will do. The Lord lovingly wants to peel away the layers of whatever it is that might have built up in your life over the years. A defensive posture, self-protection, self-justification. He'll want to shine light into the corners and closets of your heart to expose hidden sins, fears, anxieties, maybe a prideful heart. Whatever it is for you. For me, David is the epitome of someone who found that it was safe to be honest with God. David was always honest with God. And that's why we have so many wonderful psalms. David knew that he couldn't hide. And David also knew that God is good. Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me. And then, Lord, would you lead me? Would you lead me in the way everlasting? Walking with God is going to make you vulnerable to a, to a heavenly father who really, really, really wants the very best for you. It's okay to walk with God and be honest. Two more. Walking with God makes you useful. Walking with God makes you useful. You see, Jesus' disciples didn't just walk with Jesus for their own personal enjoyment. We need to understand this. No, Jesus was preparing them and teaching them, equipping them to one day go out into the world with his mission. And so when you walk with God, his objective is to make you useful so that we can live in the tumultuous 20s and have something to offer, something to bring to the table, a different perspective, a different attitude. There's just a lot of angst and anger and stuff out there. and The people of God are, are dropped into society by a, by a God who loves the world and, he, and, he, and he, he equips us and gives us what we need to bring some sanity and semblance of peace and well-being into people's lives. Walking with God makes you useful. Now there's two more. I missed one. Walking with God makes you joyful. Walking with God is going to make you joyful when you realize who it is that you're walking with. 
Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. James 1, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Who was it last week that talked about the distinction between happiness and joy? I can't remember if that was Sarah or... Was that you? Yeah. There is a distinction between happiness and joy. Um, Happiness is generally circumstantial. You have a good day, you have a good week, and you're happy, and you have a bad day and a bad week, and you're not happy. Happiness rises and falls depending upon the temperature of, of your day. Joy is a constant. Joy is, is deep. Joy is a foundation. Because you know the one who, who, who holds it all. Walking with God makes you joyful. And then lastly, walking with God makes you hopeful. It makes you hopeful. Whatever's happening in your life, in your world right now, and whatever is happening in the world right now, we are the, the recipients and the bearers and the messengers of a message of hope. The gospel is the only hope for the world. It's the only hope for the world. It's the hope of a God who will one day make all things new. It's a hope that goes beyond your news feed. It's a hope that lives within you, that God hears your prayers, that he sees your tears, that he is there, he'll never leave you, and that you are walking with him. You are walking with God. The old hymn, My Hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground that I might be tempted to stand on, all other ground is sinking sand. And so this is, this is what I believe is one way of, of addressing the question How should we then live? I believe God is calling his people to be much more intentional, much more, not not casual. This is not a time for casual Christianity. This is a time for standing on the grace that has been given to us and standing with the God who has saved us and bringing a different posture, a different, a different, a different, a different game, a different message. People who are walking with God will bring light into darkness. People who are walking with God will bring joy into grief. They'll bring love into a world filled with anger and hate. Let me just add one more thing, and I'm done. Parents and grandparents. The greatest gift that you can give to your children is for you to be a mom, for you to be a dad who day by day by day by day is seeking, not casually, but actively pursuing to walk with God. So that someday they will say of you, my mom, wow, 
She walked with God. My dad, he was funny. He was great. He was wonderful. He was a hard worker. But I got to tell you, he walked with God. Let's pray. Would you take just a minute and in some way respond to whatever uh, the Holy Spirit may be, may be saying to you today? Lord God, thank you for being a God who wants to walk with his people. A God who has come so near. It's beyond our ability to comprehend that the God who made the heavens, the sun and the moon and the stars and the mountains and the seas and the oceans would want to walk with very flawed, very imperfect, very broken people, and yet that is your heart. We marvel that we have you to walk with. And so I pray for myself, pray for my family, my children, my children's children, that we would be a family that walks with God. I pray that we as a church would be men and women who humbly, gratefully, thankfully walk with God. Lord, we pray for brothers and sisters around other parts of the world for whom tumultuous times is just a daily deal and to a degree way, way beyond what we have ever experienced. Parts of the world today that are in great, great tumult. We pray, Lord God, that you would strengthen strengthen your church we love you today we thank you Lord Jesus that you came to walk with us we pray in Christ's name amen as you come to the table this morning